Thomas Chisholm, a Methodist minister, penned the words to Great is Thy Faithfulness. Let me read to you stanza number one. Great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not. Thy compassions, they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever wilt be. Kenneth Osbeck, in his book 101 Hymn Stories, writes, While many hymns are born out of a particular dramatic experience, this hymn was simply the result of the author's morning-by-morning realization of God's personal faithfulness. We should also have a morning-by-morning realization of Jesus's faithfulness uh, to us. Jesus calls himself in Revelation 3.14, the faithful and true witness. And then in Revelation 19 and verse 11, he is called faithful and true. How does God demonstrate his faithfulness? That's question number one. And then number two, what are you to do as a result of God's faithfulness? Would you join me in prayer? Father, my prayer is simple, that as we work through this sermon and complete it, that the words on our hearts would be singing a song, Great is Thy Faithfulness, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's begin with point number one. God is faithful to his words, works, and people. God is faithful to his words, works, and people. Listen to Psalm 119 and verse 86 concerning his words. All your commandments are faithful. In other words, God is faithful to his word. Uh, He should be, uh, because number one, they are God-breathed. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Dear God, breathe. God, breathe them out, the very word of God. Uh, We also learn from Hebrews chapter 4 in verse 12, for the word of God is living and powerful. It's a live word. God's word also cannot be broken. In John chapter 10, Jesus is having a discussion, if you will, a heated debate with the religious hierarchy, and he chooses an obscure psalm, Psalm 82. What do you know about Psalm 82? If I mention Psalm 1, maybe Psalm 2 or Psalm 22, you would go, okay, familiar with that, or even Psalm 23. But Psalm 82 And he gives a quote, but this is what he says, and the scripture cannot be broken. John chapter 10 and verse 35, the scripture cannot be unloosed or untied. It is not only accurate, we call that inerrancy, but it is also authoritative. It's infallible. And God's word will be fulfilled. In Matthew chapter 5, would you turn with me there? Matthew chapter 5, some great words of Jesus in verses 17 and 18. Jesus says, Do not think 
that I came to destroy the law of the prophets? I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For surely I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot, that's the Hebrew letter yod, is sort of equivalent to a comma if you look at that uh, along the size line of the English alphabet, or one tittle. That's just part of a Hebrew letter. And then he says, will by no means. And I just want to pause here uh, for a moment. There is a emphatic negation given here. It's an may construction. And when it appears, as it does here, with the aorist subjective, it means there's not even the possibility or potentiality of. In other words, there's not even a possibility or a potential that his words from the law will not be fulfilled. They have to be fulfilled. That's quite a statement by our Lord Jesus Christ. You see why God is faithful to his words? And after all, they're eternal, are they not? In Psalm 119, in verse 89, forever, O Lord, your word is settled, or it means it stands in heaven. In the midst of the Enlightenment, that was back in the 17th and 18th centuries, uh, you had this intellectual movement happening in Europe. Deism, D-E-I-S-M, was popular. It was the thought that God created the world, but then separated himself from the world. Voltaire, a French writer, predicted that within 25 years, the Bible would be forgotten and Christianity a thing of the past. Imagine that prediction. Forty years after his death, in 1778, the Bible and other Christian literature was being printed in the very home in which he had lived. God is faithful to his word. Not only is God faithful to his word, he's faithful to his works. Uh, Toward the middle of the Bible, and come with me to Psalm 33, please. Book of Psalms, chapter 33. For the word of the Lord is right, and all his work is done in truth. And by the way, I just want you to to note here, the word truth would probably be better translated faithfulness as it is in the NASB. Uh, It comes from the same root. Both truth and faithfulness come from the same Hebrew root, but it carries the, the nuance here of faithfulness as it does in Psalm 100 and verse 5 and in Psalm 119 down in verse 90. See, all his work is done in faithfulness. Verse 6, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. (laughs) Ex nihilo. The idea is out of nothing. That is how God created the universe and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. The story is told of a science professor who constructed a planetarium, a precisely scaled model of the universe. A student walked into his office one day and asked him, Professor, who made this? He responded, no one. The student laughed at first and said, oh, come on, who made this fantastic piece of precise work? The professor replied, no one made it. 
Now the student was getting angry. And he said, you mean to tell me no one has made this? The professor replied, if you can leave my office and go out and look at creation and look at nature and think that it just happened without a creator, the same can be true of this planetarium. Point well made, was it not? Now, down in verse 7, Psalm 33, he gathers the waters of the sea together as a heap. Uh, it's a participle here. The idea from the Hebrew is not only that God has gathered, separated the bodies of water from the land, but keeps them separated. Do you see the power of God? He gathers the waters of the sea together as a heap. He lays up the deep in storehouses. And in verse 8, let all the earth fear the Lord. Of course, let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. Again, let's take a look at verse 9 with the power and the faithfulness of God. It says, for he spoke, and he spoke there is emphatic from the Hebrew. It's who amar, showing the personal pronoun and then the third person singular with the verb. So this strong emphasis on he spoke. And what happened? It was done. Isn't that God's faithfulness? He commanded, again, emphatically stated, and it stood fast. Now, as we're considering the faithfulness of God, let me read you the second stanza based upon what we just looked at, from great is thy faithfulness, summer and winter and springtime and harvest, sun, moon, and stars in their courses above, join with all nature in manifold witness to thy great faithfulness, mercy, and love. God is faithful to his words. He's faithful to his works, but may I say, He's also faithful to his people. He is faithful to his people. Move over to the book of Lamentations, please. And in chapter three of Lamentations, we have a tremendous statement. Consider the context is 586 BC. Jeremiah had warned the people to repent. They would not. God brings in the Babylonians. The temple is destroyed and the People are decimated and they're devastated. It's in this context that we have the words about God's faithfulness. In verse 22, through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should hope and wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man to bear the yoke in his youth. God is faithful at all times, not only to his words, his works, and his people. A New Testament passage corresponding to Lamentations chapter 3 is over in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, coming down to verse 23. And let your eyes come over to the word himself. It's actually the first word in the Greek verse. 
Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. See, the emphasis is on the God of peace who himself will set you apart completely. What does he mean completely? He breaks it down. And may your whole spirit, okay, the part of you that's immaterial that can connect with God, the soul and body, see the material aspect of man as well, be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then down to verse 24, why can we know with certainty that God will complete what he has promised to do? How do we know he is going to be faithful to his people? Verse 24, he who calls you is faithful, who also will do it. The word calls, by the way, I find this uh, very fascinating. Uh, it does not appear in the past tense because there is a call. We call it the effectual call. It's the call to salvation, but that's not what Paul is pointing to here. The present tense shows that he keeps on calling you. See, he who calls you, he keeps on calling you. Who is he? He is faithful. But what do we know about him? Who also will do it? <laughs> Love it. God will do it. Why? Because he is faithful. Let's go back. Let's think about point number one. God is faithful to his words, works, and people. Now our second point, and again, in our study of the communicable attributes of God, we learn about who God is, but then what he expects of us. They're the attributes that God has that in some way he shares with us to imitate. Point number two, be faithful to God's words, works, and people. Let me say that again. Be faithful to God's words, works, and people. God is faithful. Is he not? Is he not faithful to his words? Is he not faithful to his works? Is he not faithful to his people? Uh, let's consider his words. The Almighty God had a plan for the Apostle Paul. Jesus met him in Acts chapter 9, on the road to Damascus, and appeared to him with a bright light, if you will, shining in Saul's face. And Saul, who would later be known better as Paul, had a remarkable conversion. But this is what Paul writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy 1.12. And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Let's think about that. It was Jesus who considered Paul who would be faithful and put him into the ministry. So now that the word had been entrusted to the apostle Paul and he had been faithful, what was he doing? He was passing it down. He was giving holy handoffs, if you will. In 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 1, Paul writes to Timothy, My son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit them to faithful men. Hear that? Faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So what was Timothy to look for? 
Well, what Paul found in Timothy. Timothy was faithful. He was available. He was teachable, if you will, the acronym FAT. So what was Timothy to look for? Men to train who were faithful, available, and teachable to entrust with God's word. And by way of extension, the word of God has been handed off to you and to me. Now we want to go to 1 Corinthians to see about this holy handoff to us. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Paul didn't want the Corinthians to think more highly of him than they should, or of Apollos, or of Peter. (laughs) They were all just servants of Jesus Christ. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, this is what Paul writes, a very humble statement, but gives us great insight into what has been entrusted to you and to me. Verse 1, let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. The word there, servants, huperetes, was the idea, uh, at least a couple centuries later, from Paul's day, of the galley slave, in the bottom of the slave ship, doing what? Rowing. That's sort of a great picture to understand how Paul viewed himself. I'm not sure if they would have understood that in Paul's day, but subsequently that came to be the the concept of this word. Stewards also of the mysteries of God. That's what we are. We're stewards. We have been entrusted with the mysteries of God, those sacred secrets that at one time were hid, but now have been unveiled. That's what's been entrusted to children of God. What are some of the mysteries? How about the church? (laughs) No one knew about the church in the Old Testament. How about the whole concept that the Jew and the Gentile would become one? So when we consider what has been entrusted to us, we need to take it with all gravity. Look at verse 2. Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found, what's your word? Faithful. We have been entrusted with the word of God. We are to make disciples of all nations. We need to be like Paul, who found Timothy, who was faithful, available, and teachable. And we need to find similar individuals and give the word of God to them. As God has been faithful to his words, we need to be faithful. We need to be faithful also to God's works, his works. One might be government. Government is a work of God. It's an institution that God had established. And even in Romans chapter 13, we learn in verse 1, let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. Remember, Rome ruled the day. They weren't under, if you will, Jewish uh, leadership with the nation. They were subservient to the Romans. But let every soul be subject to the authorities given to them. We need to do that as well, to arrange ourselves under the laws of the land. That's a work of God. But the greatest work in the period of time in which we live 
is that of the church, the church of Jesus Christ. From Jesus's perspective in Matthew 16 and verse 18, the church would be future. He says, I will build my church. The word church, ecclesia, a called out body, we've been called out of this world system to be separated unto Jesus Christ in order to make disciples of all nations. We need to do the motto of the Comer Manor Bible Church, finding the lost and training the found for God's glory. But we have an obligation. Hebrews chapter 10 says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much the more as we see the day approach. We have a God-given mandate as children of God during the church age to assemble, to fellowship, to sing, to pray, to give, to worship. We're called to do this. See, God is faithful to his works. He's faithful to his church. Jesus says, I'm going to build it, and we have to consider how we are part of that building process. Turn with me to Colossians so I can give you an example of this. Uh, Colossians chapter 1, please. Go past Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians to Colossians chapter 1. Now, it seems as if Paul did not found this church, because in chapter 2, he speaks of those that he never saw face to face. There's a man that we're going to be introduced to in a moment that maybe was the pastor of the church and perhaps even the founder. But look at the opening of this epistle to the Galatians, chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, come with me to verse 7. Staying in chapter 1, verse 7. As you also learn from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, perhaps the pastor here, but notice the description that Paul gives of him, who is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf. Here is a man serving the congregation, but how is he described as faithful? Let's pick up on his faithfulness now in Colossians chapter 4. Colossians chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. Epaphras, who is one of you, a bondservant of Christ, greets you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers, that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. Epaphras had a ministry of prayer for the saints, because he's faithful, verse 13. For I bear him witness that he has a great zeal for you and those who are in Laodicea and those in Hierapolis. This is a man that was faithful who had a tremendous prayer ministry. Question, do you apply the same standards of faithfulness to Jesus' church that you expect from other areas in your life? If your car starts once every three tries, is it reliable? If your paperboy skips delivery every Monday and Thursday, is he trustworthy? If you don't go to work once or twice a month, 
Are you a loyal employee? If your water heater provides an icy cold shower now and then, is it dependable? If you miss a couple of loan payments every year, does your bank say 10 out of 12 isn't bad? If you fail to worship God one or two Sundays a month, would you expect to be called a faithful Christian? As God has been faithful to his words and works, we need to do the same. And then finally, an example to his people. We need to be faithful to God's people. If you would turn with me way back to Exodus chapter 17, Moses has walked the people literally through the Red Sea, <laughs> moving toward the direction of the promised land. Of course, those 20 and older would not enter the promised land, but there is a battle going on with the Amalekites, sworn enemies of Israel. And pick it up with me in Exodus chapter 17, verse 8. Now Amalek came and fought with Israel in Rephidim. And Moses said to Joshua, choose us some men and go out, fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. And Joshua is obedient, and he goes down to fight. Verse 12, but Moses's hands became heavy. So they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it, and Aaron and Hur supported his hands. These men came alongside of Moses and supported, supported one of God's key leaders, Moses. We need to do the same. By the way, victory was won that way. In Proverbs chapter 20, verse 6, most men will proclaim each his own goodness, but who can find a faithful man? It's a great question. Who can find a faithful man? Theodore Roosevelt once said, it is better to be faithful than famous. Quite a statement from a former president. It is better to be faithful than famous. Let us now go back to our chosen hymn for today, Great is I, Faithfulness, and look at stanza three. Pardon for sin and a peace that endureth, thine own dear presence to cheer and to guide, strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow, Blessings all mine, with 10,000 beside. And then the refrain, great is thy faithfulness, great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I have needed, thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. God has been faithful to his words. They are eternal to his works and unto his people. He is. He's a faithful God and never forget that. So what does he call us to do? Be faithful to the very words of God. Proverbs 30 and verse 5 says, every word of God is pure. He is a shield to those who put their trust in him. So let's be faithful to the words of God. Let us be faithful to the works of God. 
We are called to make disciples. We are in the church age. Let us make disciples. Let us find the lost. Let us train the found. Let us be found faithful. And then may we also be faithful to God's people. God is faithful to his people. We need to be servants like Aaron and Hur, who came alongside of Moses when he was weary and held up his arms. May we have that same mindset to be faithful to God's people. Let's pray. Lord, help us to faithfully sing and meditate upon your great faithfulness. Help us to be individuals, Lord, who sit back in awe at God's faithfulness to his words, his works, and his people, and may we imitate him in each area. I pray that we would reflect upon great is thy faithfulness, and the Lord, may we become the same. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you for watching today's sermon. Uh, There is a book that is the basis for the 14 lessons, Attributes of God on Fire. Uh, There are actually 10 other fire books. Or you can learn more about us at comermanorbiblechurch.com. And then I have a foundation, Ken J. Bird Senior Foundation.com. And finally, we have a father and son podcast. We would love to have you join us. God bless you.